Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. That's, yeah, they have asked for that, really. France are going to the World Cup, get over This fellow Ronaldo is a cop. Boom, 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 foul. Boom, 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 yellow card. Nah, it's actually dogs, I have to ask you to mind your language. And I suggest you shut up and show more football. Good lad. I don't throw teacups. It's not my style. I got a lot of throw punches. What you doing down here, you surely man? <laughs> I'm fairly sure we were all saying pre-season that come the end of January, Leicester City would hope that they approach FA Cup weekend already being knocked out so they can focus purely and solely on their pursuit of the Premier League title. We were all saying that, Ken and Murphy, weren't we? Mm, I don't, not recorded, yeah. I don't think. But, uh, we, it may have been one of uh, those off-air conversations. It is the Irish Times. Irish Times Second Campus Podcast. It is January 28th, and Leicester City are still top of the league. They're uh, not going away there anywhere. What's your theory again? Um, my theory That's is the, what's that going Leicester City have got some of the best players in the league this year. That's why they're doing so well. Mm-hmm. Uh, that uh, They have a striker who's scoring a lousy goals, mm-hmm. a midfielder who's also scoring lousy goals, and if you've got that, you've got a chance. <laughs> it's true. Have you a theory as to why those midfielders and strikers are suddenly these world-beating superstars? Mm. That's a harder one. Well, that's, a, that's a more difficult. <laughs> that is a lot more difficult. I mean, you, you reminded a little bit of, uh, you know, a couple of years ago when Liverpool had an, had an unexpected title challenge. And the reason for it was, well, they have Suarez and Sturridge and Sterling playing amazing football. And really, that's, that's so we're saying, the only reason. We're saying it doesn't take necessarily a huge amount for any team to launch a title search. If Leicester City can do this now, based on really a couple of star players, yeah. and a Liverpool team who, okay, for slightly, uh, maybe a, a um, slightly more storied club than Leicester City in the history of football, but still not at an especially high ebb at the time, can almost win the league with really one guy carrying it forward. Yeah. That that's all it takes. But can I refer you to Kennerly's uh, uh, column in the Irish Times mm-hmm. on Monday when basically, Ken, the point you were making was Arsenal are the same as they've ever been. It's just everyone else in this league has been terrible. Mm. So if you broaden that out to Leicester, uh, you know, Leicester are, it's obviously a historically good season, but maybe in any other season, they'd be third and third, fourth, and you actually... You know, you it, it wouldn't be quite such a shock to the system to see them being fourth at this stage. Ah, yeah, season. you can have a go at Arsenal on that basis. Yeah. But the Leicester have still only lost two games out of 23. Yeah, one to Arsenal, one to Liverpool. It's amazing. Um, the thing is that, uh, I mean, you know, for instance, the, the argument against Arsenal, I mean, what we were talking about with Arsenal, their 
their own course for an average point tally for Arsenal of 73, which is a below average. You know, and no team's ever won the league with as few as 73 points. Um, but so, but maybe one argument against that being a sign that this is another average Arsenal team is that the league on the league is stronger. It's harder to get points. Uh, because the teams are, are more, you just have more kind of indigestible teams that you come up against. You're going to drop more points. It's harder to just go on a, and win, you know, eight matches Which in a row. Which says even more for what Leicester are doing. Exactly. Then. You know, exactly. If Leicester, Leicester are there in this, you know, dominating mm-hmm. the, to, to the extent that any team can, this tough league. I mean, at least they don't have to play Leicester City. That's one big advantage they have on, <laughs> on everyone else. That is true. But, uh, well, what make you then of, the, of another uh, theory that's been floating around that Which is, basically... Leicester are a counter-attacking team and no one's taking them all that seriously hmm. uh, and they're not setting up just waiting for Leicester to come give Leicester City the ball and see if they can break it down which is what would have happened you know if 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 they were playing the exact same way with the exact same team but they were Chelsea or Manchester United that they would that they're they're, they're not being paid any respect by yeah. teams teams still think they can go and beat Leicester City and as a result, playing into their hands, playing into their hands. Exactly. Yeah, I think I think there is a I think there definitely is a bit of that because still, you know, if it's Leicester, everyone is going to be like, "Well, come on." I mean, maybe now it's a case of well, actually Leicester are scary. We need to make, but I mean, the 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 difficult thing for a team to play the way Leicester uh, play mm-hmm. is usually to play against another team that plays like them, a team that you know is is happy to kind of let you have the ball and sit back and then hit you quickly on the break. You know, like Robert Ho- Robert Hoot is great defending the penalty area if, you know, people are trying to sling in balls and he's good at organising his defence. But he's not so great if he's, like, you know, 40 yards from his penalty area and the ball's in behind him. That's not... No. He doesn't like that situation. You know what I mean? Um, so he's not going to put himself in that situation, which means that which means that he's not going to, you know, push up. Leicester are not a team that can play attacking football. I think with... A, with Negative football. <laughs> Skulls. Oh, yeah. Did you see that other little Man United pundit? Oh, oh we'll the, we, the young fella. We'll see if we can, we'll see if we can well, dig yeah, him out. Yeah, we might dig him out by the end of the, the show. Little horror. No, not no, him. No, no, no. I'm afraid, I'm afraid Andy, Andy Mitten might start losing somewhere. Or Andy Tate. Andy Mitten. No, my Andy, my Andy apologies to, to the very good journalist that is Andy Mitten there. Uh, Andy Tate might start losing his job as the Manchester United super pundit, man of the people, to this little kid. We'll have a look for that audio and we'll get it for you, I'm sure, by the end of the show. Yeah, but you know, um, they say the, the, the way that a lot of teams started to frustrate uh, Chelsea under Jose Mourinho, they knew that Chelsea would like to do this as well. So they'd say, OK, we're going to play like you. We'll sit back and let's see what you do with the ball. And Chelsea really struggled to win those games. And, you know, when Mourinho was the Real Madrid manager, it was the same thing. But nobody's going to treat Leicester City with, the, with you know, the same respect they accord to, to Real Madrid. So maybe... Um, you know, maybe that's that's the reason. Uh, that's one of the reasons why they've been doing so well. All right, I'm sure you've got. Oh well, just to mention what we've got coming up, we'll. Uh, well, you've probably read the little episode guide there that we have there, the, the blurb, I guess you might call it. So you probably know already. But we're going to chat to Gabriele Mercati about Leicester, and uh, we're also going to be talking about Spurs. Well, considering Arsenal's apparent reluctance to grasp this opportunity, it could be left to Tottenham along with Man City, the real lesser in. So we'll talk to Jack Pitbrook about Spurs a little later. But Ken, you look like you're positively bursting to report on some sport. I am, Owen. I am bursting to report on some sport. But you know who else looks like they're bursting? Certain other people in this room. Now, I'm not going to name any names. But here we are. It's the sort of the second half of the season. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking around, and I'm not, gonna, I'm not naming any names. But certain people... 
need to raise their standards around here. Certain people look out of shape. Certain people are carrying too much weight. Certain certain people aren't pulling their weight. Right. Now, I'm not naming any names. Well, we know it's not Simon, so it must be myself or Murph. And to be honest, it, 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 the suggestion is that only one of us is in this state. So I'm, I'm happy to take my chances, to be honest. I'm just saying that I demand the highest possible levels of professionalism from all of you. And I'm not naming any names, but certain people here have been letting us down as a group. Okay. And I want to see, I want to know what those people are going to do about it. Well, those people I need don't to have know. anything to say. Well, that, that person or those people would need to know who they are. If oh, they know. Any, oh, they know any, who they if are. You've got any bottle, Ken? They know who they are, all right. Those people know who they are. Is this about me? And I think we all know who those people are. I think everybody in this room knows who those people are. Is this me about about me ignoring your emails? <laughs> no, no, it's not. It's not ignoring your emails. This one is. I literally can't think of a foot wrong that I've. You can't think of anything no, that, that you've what, done what's wrong. What's angry, Ken? <laughs> you can't think of a single. In uh, my life, I'm just yeah. uh, thirty-three. <laughs> <laughs> Can't think of a single mistake. Now, uh, oh, and this is apparently why. Have you got like an envelope? The mood in, in the, your in your uh, pocket no, no there envelopes. with a name written of no the man who's going to let you down. This there's, season. No, there's no need to. There's no need to write it down. But apparently, the Bayern Munich players are none too happy after a similar outburst from Pep Guardiola <laughs> in their training camp, uh, where in which he. Naming no names, <laughs> told, informed them that certain of them were fat, right. uh, uh, not working hard enough, needed to train harder. And also, by the way, no more of these, oh, we've got a day off, I'm just going to, you know, uh, I'm just going to book myself a little city break. I'm going to go to like Barcelona or Paris or London or wherever you go if you're, if you're a Bayern Munich player. Krakow, I don't know. Where would, I don't know where they go. But uh, he's sick and tired of that and he's not going to take it anymore. The last thing he wants... Is players sitting in um, sitting in airplanes, flying off to enjoy city breaks with their loved ones or friends. If in future they're going to have to sign out if they want to do any of that, and also they need to train a lot harder than what they've been doing, because quite frankly, he's not happy with what he's seen. I can I honestly, can, I know. Can I'm going to say I know for a fact what the Bayern Munich players were thinking as Pep Guardiola was saying this. What were they thinking? Hey, you've already told us you're out of here. We we really don't care what you say anymore. Yeah. And uh, the Bayern are apparently even uh, trying to get Hans Müller Wolfhardt. Remember the doctor that oh, yeah. Pep's acting, trying to say, "Hey, listen, you know, Hans. we had a great relationship with you, and it could, it could continue, just as soon as Pep is is out of here." So I don't know. It sounds as though Pep is maybe um, this is this is reported to Kicker magazine in Germany by apparently one of the Bayern players whose name they don't reveal. But he says the atmosphere has has turned a little ugly now. I can't think of I can't really picture any Bayern Munich players who I, I yeah I don't who think are he, fat. no I don't think he's going to be like I can think of one oh really oh yeah World Cup winner a certain World Cup winning <laughs> player that's not that's, that's not, not name name, that's a name this roly poly little fellow a vital vital part <laughs> but yeah so let's let's not <laughs> name any names uh, but. I can, he's he's just one that's just off the top of my head. I mean, I I, I don't know. I'm, I'm I'm not privy to to the body fat results. Anyway. Right. As we know, as Adam Lallana showed us the other day, these strips, tight as they may be, uh, conceal a lot. <laughs> you know, we who knows what's really going on underneath them. Uh, but Pep evidently trying to uh, jolt the team into a bit of you know maybe they're thinking what well, eight points clear. I think it's eight points still from Dortmund. Dortmund who are 
kind of still on their heels. You know what I mean? To the extent that if Bayern did have a wobble, kind of an unexpected, oh, we've lost a couple of games in a row, in the, in the way that a team that's kind of almost has fallen asleep on its way to the title can sometimes do. Um, you know, there's, there's still... I'm going to say a 3% chance that they won't win the league. But if that was to happen, yeah. suddenly Pep has done an awful job at Bayern Munich if, they're, if they were to throw away a league title unless they were going to win a Champions League. Under well, it depends. It all depends on what happens in the, champ- in the Champions League. And this, is, uh, this has been the problem of the previous seasons that uh, almost that they've um, gone into those Champions League games against the hardest team they're going to play all season without really being in competitive shape. I mean, maybe this is one of the reasons why Chelsea might might be feeling a bit optimistic about their Champions League. They're going to be playing against, against Paris Saint Germain, who, you know, are, I haven't looked I haven't looked at the table on, but I think they're about, about sixty points clear in the table. They have fifty seven points from twenty one games. I saw on Sky Sports News, yeah. like I think last night or something. So you know, it's it's not it's not really. They could probably stop now and, you know, have a pretty good chance of winning the league. But uh, so so there, I imagine, obviously going to be concentrating on the Chelsea game. But as Bayern have, have shown, it's not always an easy situation. Anyway, Pep uh, evidently keen not to let that happen again and just remind everyone that even though he's going to be leaving for a new challenge, they've still got a challenge of their own, which is lose a few pounds and keep their eyes <laughs> on the prize. Paris Saint-Germain are 21 points up. It's actually 60 points from 22 What if they're wrong? Now. Hang on. What a, it, just as you accused, uh, as you skillfully brought that point up again by sowing seeds of doubt in the minds of myself and Murph. Oh, yeah. What if I'm Thomas Muller? I'm standing there going, well, I mean, he can't be talking about me, can he? I'm, I'm svelte, I'm thin. Mm. Yeah. But maybe he is. Maybe I should lose some weight. Yeah. And suddenly you've got your guys who are in perfect physical condition. Yeah, just on extreme calorie restriction. Exactly, yeah. Okay, no carbs for me, says Thomas Muller. Muller's on 900 calories a day. You know, he's like he's like his translucent skin. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I he, you see a lot of scrawny wrecks for Bayern Munich come the second round. Maybe he, maybe Muller was one of the city break guys. Maybe he's thinking guiltily about his his little trips. I don't know. I don't know what, what Muller's been doing. I mean, he's. It seems to me as though Muller's been playing pretty well and maintaining a decent level of performance. But as we know, it's never enough. Whatever it is, it's never enough. Um. Uh, uh, on, since we last spoke, the League Cup semi-finals have taken place, and it's going to be Liverpool against Manchester City uh, because Everton weren't able to stop Manchester City last night, even though they were one uh, nil up and three one up on aggregate uh, after a good goal by Ross Barkley, which featured a very strange piece of defending from Fabian Delph, who uh, shepherded him. What are you? What are you doing? I mean, you're you're a, you're a you know pretty average football player you uh i thank you you've got you've got the you're you're standing there there's a guy coming towards you with the ball right mm-hmm. and you've, you're thinking to yourself you're thinking strategically you're a central midfielder right where do you want to show him to I want to show him at what? the wing i guess you want to show him you want to show him outside well i want to show him backwards ideally backwards you want to force him back, force just, him back yeah. just he turns and, and runs back into his own half on the Maginot line McGavin <laughs> <laughs> that would be that would be the ideal yeah. but uh, yeah you kind of shepherd him out the wing there. Shepherd, shepherd him out there yeah so Fabian Delph weirdly um, shepherded Ross Barkley who I mean if you were to describe Ross Barkley as a player what would you say are his outstanding characteristics physical strength yeah technically good on the ball yeah uh, powerful power uh, shooting, long range shooting. He's he was, a, he enjoys 
a yeah. long-range effort. He does. He's he has got that ability. Doesn't have to be asked. Twice. Certain players have to really, you know, whack one, whack one in. So Fabian Dell, for some reason, rather than sort of yeah, Bark Barkley had gone past like Fernandinho and was kind of you know 30, 35 yards out, reasonably central position. I'm thinking Fabian Delph is just going to get in front of him there and Barkley's going to have to make a sideways pass. Instead, Fabian Delph goes to cut out the potential sideways pass he could make, allowing Ross Barkley to steam straight into the sort of D zone and <laughs> smack the ball into the net. I, don't even, I, I can't remember any other examples of players just showing, it, showing their man directly into the most dangerous part of the pitch. But that's what Delft did. It wasn't great. It didn't matter though because City came back and via deflection, a refereeing mistake, and a goal, uh, a fair goal, uh, by big Sergio Aguero, uh, who was hailed by the commentator. There are big players, and they don't come any bigger than Sergio Aguero, who had just nutted one in like Duncan Ferguson, uh, despite being you know five foot. Oh, he's a good bad, He's a good man. He's done a couple of those this season. He has. Yeah, he's got. It's about timing, on. It's not all about inches. A lot of it has to do with timing, ability, and he's got that. He's got that. Um, Roberto Martinez's reaction? Heartbreaking. Heartbreaking to be refereed by people like this. Uh, he says, you don't mind if Manchester City find a way of being outstanding and scoring three goals, but it's very difficult to find an explanation in the dressing room for the players to find a reason why we've been knocked out. That's hurtful and unfair. It's a clear decision. The ball's out of play. This is the second Man City goal in which Raheem Sterling um, scooted past uh, stand-in right-back John Stones on the outside. And then he scooted past him. And one of the reasons he was able to scoot past him was that he slightly overhit his touch. Uh, and he ran after the ball. And the ball had just gone out when Raheem Sterling cut it back across goal to the penalty spot where Kevin De Bruyne knocked it in. Uh, you know, and the ball was out of play by a centimetre, which is, you know, usually it gets seen, but on this occasion, wasn't seen. So Roberto Martinez is not happy with that. He says, um, the second goal affected the outcome too much. He feels so hurt because there have been a few big decisions that have not gone in our favour. It's not professional enough. You have to respect the referees, and they do have the toughest job in football, but certain decisions are clear-cut. When the ball's out of play in the modern game, you don't expect that to be missed. Uh, when it ends up as a second goal, you can imagine the major blow it has to our feelings, our performance, and our chances to get through. Um, talked about he mentioned the word heartbreaking in reference to this decision three times in his post-match interview which is also a word that he used the last time we talked about him talking about referees now I don't know I, th I, I he's getting on your nerves Ken yeah he does he's getting on your he nerves. does this a lot and there are a few things that you have to point out immediately you know I mean uh, but, oh there, there was another little uh, detail which is that uh, apparently uh, Phil Jagielka said that the referee uh, Martin Atkinson um, had had responded, had, had had said to him, "Oh yeah, brilliant defending," or "Your defending is brilliant." Um, I think this is in relation to Jagielka complaining that how can you miss that? You know, your refereeing is is terrible, something along these lines. And then Atkinson responding with, which maybe you know, back in the days of Arthur Hopcraft, <laughs> might have been regarded as uh, you know just the referee managing the game very well. Mm -hmm. You know, like uh, he skills he skillfully diffused a potentially awkward situation yes. there with some bants. With some banter, you know, or the yeah. referee that's a terrible decision, and the referee would make some cutting remark about mm. like uh, 
you know, the shortness of the player who was yeah. making. You know, sorry, right, I, did, right, what's that? I didn't right catch enough, it. Chief. I didn't catch yeah. that. Don't get up, said the referee. Something along these lines, and everyone would go, huh? Or, you know, shut it, Ginge, says the ref. <laughs> or, you know, so, something along those lines. But anyway, Atkinson, uh, I, I don't suppose uh, Martinez would like that. But you, ha you can't say that Atkinson doesn't have a point. He, you know, he does have a point. And uh, when, when Martinez talks about this goal, the goal shouldn't have been given against Everton. That's true. On the other hand, <laughs> Manchester City had absolutely were beating the hell out of Everton for an hour by the time this goal went in. Absolutely beating the hell out of them. 19 shots to four it was, two of which cracked off the post. I mean, there was an amazing effort by Aguero in the first half. There was another shot off the post in the second half, both of which looked like being, you know, excellent goals uh, at, the, at the time. Uh, chance after chance, eventually they score. Okay, they go, they score. The ball was out of play by centimetre. But they did absolutely beat you out of sight. I mean, it was a hiding. It was a proper thrashing, you know. And then... They also scored a winning goal after the goal you're complaining about. At the moment, the second goal that went in, everyone were still level. They were still level. They just needed to, you know, they needed to, to hang on. They get the penalties or whatever, you know, it's, it's possible. City actually had an injury towards the end because the Brown did his medial ligaments, it seems. We don't know yet what it is, but Pellegrini said it's not as cruciate. Quite a few Irish uh, fans on Twitter remarking on this in, in a not very sporting way, I have to say. Mm. Come on, you know, it's not as though he's the only good player Belgium have. Um, and I don't think he's going to be missing the Arne game. But it just seemed to me like, actually, I mean, get, get back to Martinez, because he's the, he's the main subject here. He's, he's, in, he's in a difficult situation at the moment. We were talking about it on Monday. The kind of gap between his, how he'd like the world to be and how it actually is. And actually, after this game, which, in which a lot of Everton fans are really criticizing him harshly, you can see this online, uh, one of the big uh, issues they had with him was taking off, say, Gerard Dale Lefeu. Mm. Um, why would you take him off and put on Aruna Kone? You know, why would you do that? And I think the answer is Dale Lefeu was, was playing badly. He didn't do anything. You, you know, he's... He, He's got quick feet, and he kind of sometimes puts in a whips across a decent ball, but it's not like he's really giving you a foothold in the game or doing much for you. The one big chance he had, he missed. You know what I mean? I, I, I totally under, understood that decision <clears throat> from Martinez. And actually, this was this was the first game in which Martinez did, I think, make some concessions to a more solid-looking team. Yeah, I can see why Everton fans are annoyed. That They're probably looking at us, and we're going to be talking about Leicester later and we're talking about Tottenham later okay whatever about Spurs West Ham Everton are looking at all these teams they're thinking this is this this was the season um, we, we as we made the point I think on the show on Monday or the, the show was made like, even in comparison to Liverpool you look at Everton's squad and go geez, if they really they've hung, hung on to their young guys they've hung on to likes of Barkley they've got a, just a really talented team and yet they're wasting this season in a lot of ways. And now they're not getting to a cup final. So I can, I can see why the fans are annoyed, even if they the do difference. sometimes give stones and, and these guys, yeah. well, they've they hung on the stones as well, obviously, give them too mm. hard a time. Yeah, the difference between uh, the Everton teams that Moyes was in charge of and got them to fifth and the team that won the league that year, mm. because they're the, diff the gap in quality between those two teams and the gap between Everton now and Leicester or Spurs, Spurs or those, it's like they're choking cheese. I mean, Everton, there's very little to choose, really, between Everton's team, as you would look at it on paper, and any of the teams in the top six or seven. Yeah, um, 
well, apart from the fact that Everton can't defend, you know, um, and this, you know, to what extent? Do we think that that's maybe more of a yeah? Like there's, yeah. there's three three exactly. English inter- internationals and Seamus Coleman. Yeah, Ireland's best well, player. Yeah, Coleman, who was dropped uh, last night, in what, as far as I could see, was uh, was Martinez saying, actually, we do have a problem in the fence. We 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 need to do something, and rather than start Coleman, which he usually does. So you'd have Coleman and Baines as two attacking fullbacks. He put in Stones at right back. Um, Jagielka is obviously back now, and Funes Mori is uh, Funes Mori and, and Jagielka as central defenders. So Stones right back rather than Coleman is a defensive move. I mean, I don't I don't think it, it worked out well because Stones. I mean, it's just amazing how this 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 thing is almost following a classic script. Player arrives, young English player hyped up hugely. By none more so than Roberto Martinez, actually. He can become one of the greatest players England has ever had, Martinez <laughs> said before this game. You know, like talking about putting pressure on a, on a young player. Although, obviously, he's, he, he's got an eye on the market value. In this game, Stones is the player whose responsibility it really is to make sure Sergio Aguero doesn't get to that header first that he, that he gets to first and makes a mistake, which is really... Worse than anything the officials made, to be honest, in the game. Uh, obviously, Martinez doesn't want to talk about that. But you do get, then, in the media, I, s- I see one report in the Daily Mail, which is, like, almost reveling in Stones' failure. Stones lost Sergio Guerrero, and he's still looking for him. You know what I mean? Oh, look at this, Barcelona. You know, this kind of stuff. And it's like, literally, it's like, now it's time to hammer John Stones. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, come on. You know, can he not just... Obviously, he cocked it up. Where to next? Um, sorry. Luis Suarez. Adebayor. Adebayor has gone to Palace. And hopefully by now he's figured out where that is. Well, how do you mean? I don't know much about this club, but it's better to learn. So I'll go on Google and find more out about them. Who did he say that to? These are quotes which I've, well, which I couldn't paste earlier. I don't know where they actually oh, okay, came yeah. from, um, to be honest. Uh, Adebayor, uh, honest enough to admit, he didn't know that much about Palace before he went and be, to become their highest earning striker. Uh, Pardew t- has taken the gamble on Adebayor that so many other managers have taken before him. Uh, who has it really worked out for? Works out, worked out for, he played well for Tim Sherwood for a while. He played well for Mark Hughes for a while. He played well for Henry Redknapp for a while. There is a, he plays well for a while pattern in the career of Emmanuel Adebayor. And that will do Crystal Palace, I think. Um, because they have got a situation where no Crystal Palace player has scored in six matches. Uh, Vertonghen is the only player to score for them. So that's why Adebayor was in there. So it'll be interesting to see if he can have any impact. Because he was at Tottenham until September. Uh, Pochettino threw him out. And what kind of shape he's in? I don't know. Um, Luis Suarez, uh, you mentioned their own, is the first player in Europe this season to 30 goals. It turns out... I, don't, I can't figure out if it's more or less impressive to score that number of goals in a team that has also got Neymar and Lionel Messi in it. Well, Messi has been injured. Well, he's been playing for, he's been playing for most of the season. Mm. I mean, there was... There was a nice spell there when, when Messi was out that Suarez could... Yeah, often, but often, yeah, no, he has continued to score, yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, you'd, you might say in Gareth Bale's defence, well, it'd be very difficult for Gareth Bale to really score, you know, Ronaldo-like numbers of goals Suarez while Ronaldo's yeah. in the team. Suarez also missed the start of the season. I forgot about that. Did he? Didn't he? Oh, no, I'm thinking the last season. That was last Sorry, season. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he missed uh, 
yeah. he missed the first couple so of months of last be, season. Now he's, he's been there from the start. He's been playing all season. Messi was out. Messi was out for seven or eight weeks, I think. And as far as the Neymar played very well. There's amazing, a couple of amazing goals from their game against Bilbao the other night, and just the movement on the first goal. Actually, Suarez's goal is just everyone should just go and look at it. Suarez's goal. Pretty sure it's Bilbao. I was just looking at the goals. I didn't see the game. But the movement of uh, of Messi and Suarez just to create this is like... What was the conclusion you came to with regards to whether it's more impressive to well, score? I, I, I think c- c- because usually a team only has one player that can score this number of goals. I mean, Barcelona were like that back in 2012 when Messi scored, what, 73? Was it 73 he scored in the season? What am I talking about? I'm just going to shut up now. Okay. <laughs> so it's slightly anticlimactic end to Kennedy's full confidence there at the end The Murph and Mackey for most welcome Irishman of the year goes to Owen McDevitt. Owen, 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 Owen McDevitt from Ireland's second captain show. All up in the into the web. Owen McDevitt worldwide. Second captain. Those guys, are, those guys are like family to me, man. Owen McDevitt. This is Locke. The coolest song I ever heard in my whole life. Owen McDevitt. All of you said I wouldn't make it. Stop talking about Tom Finney. He said I was a loser. This guy is a bit of a turkey. <laughs> All right. He said I was a fucking soccer. But look at me now. All up in the interweb. Owen McDevitt. Worldwide. And you were veteran of the championship. Owen McDevitt. Owen McDevitt. To say, for example, the Barcelona team you worked at, is it fair to say anybody could have managed those guys? No, of course not. Gabriele Mercati joins us to talk about league leaders, Leicester City. Gabriele, I say that with some bit of incredulity, considering they were bottom of the league around this time last year. Um, what exactly is going on here? Wow, well, I mean, I think in some ways it's it's easy to see it as um, a sort of one continuous ascent. I think there are slightly different, there are slight differences, I think, between the two. Um First of all, they were bottom, but they were, I thought, they shouldn't have been bottom. You know, you know, the, the, the biggest lie in football is results don't lie, or the table doesn't lie. They played much better than, uh, than their bottom of the table status uh, suggested, I thought, um, under Pearson. I think this year what, what you've seen is you've, you've had Vardy fit, um, and I think you, you've had a style of play that really maximizes um, Vardy's abilities. You also have, I think, a manager who, who maybe is a bit, a little bit better at getting the best out of out of Mares, and you know, was a player who's going to have his inconsistencies, but you know, maybe doesn't sort of relegate him when when he has a couple bad games in a row. Um, Conte has obviously been a tremendous boost, uh, and, and I think one of the signings of, of the season. And, um, you know, and then obviously there's others who've contributed, like, like Albrighton and, and stuff, who've, who've sort of continued at a, at, a, at a high level. So I think all these things have, have come together to, to help explain it. Is Robert Hoots maybe, uh, maybe, maybe been overlooked there a little bit? Because he obviously arrived last season in February, but it wasn't too long after his arrival that their renaissance actually began. Um, and he's been a consistently very solid player for them, uh, as they've done very well this season. I mean, it seems 
uh, almost bizarre now in, in retrospect that Stoke City would let him go so easily and, and that he could become such a valuable player. Yeah, um, I mean, it would have to be, there might be an issue of causation versus correlation there. Um, you know, Wes Morgan, who plays alongside him, um, you know, I thought it took him a while, but I think he's also been quite consistent after after some, some pretty phenomenal blunders in the first part of, of last season. Um, I think the thinking with Huth is, and, and the reason he maybe didn't quite kick on is that, you know, he's, he's not particularly quick, um, and he's somebody who defends very well in, in a system. So for a counterattacking side, when you've got, you know, guys like, like Drinkwater and, and Conte ahead of you or, or King or, or whoever's there, um, you know, you can create a system that, that masks maybe some of his shortcomings and, uh, and, and maximizes his strength. So I think he's been part of it. I just sort of hesitate a little bit to sort of describe Huth as, as, as some kind of, of revelation because obviously he's been around a while. You talked about the ability of Claudio Ranieri there, Gabriele, to get the best out of the skillful players in the squad and uh, and on the team. Ranieri, his most recent history before Leicester, was this bizarre time in charge of Greece. He comes in as some sort of a troubleshooter in the summer of 2015, 14. of 2014. Uh, he, uh, loses four, he loses at home to Northern Ireland, loses at home to the Faroe Islands. Afterwards, he's sacked. The chairman of the Greek Football Federation says, following today's devastating result for the national team, I take full responsibility for the most unfortunate choice of coach, which has resulted in such a poor image of the national team being put before the fans. That sounds like nearly a death knell, or could be a death knell for some coaches, and yet here he is uh, a year later, top of the league. Yeah, but I mean, that kind of goes to show you how, you know, (laughs) you're basically, you know, international football is a different animal. And secondly, you know, you, you judge somebody based on four games and, you know, you can get a, a very different, um, you know, a very different portrayal of, of what reality is. You know, you choose a four-game stint, you can probably find, you know, Pep Guardiola or, or Luis Enrique getting bad results too. Probably not losing you know. to the equivalent of the Faroe Islands, though, I, wouldn't, I would argue. I mean, yeah, I, mean I, I mean, that's like Barcelona. That's like Pep with Barcelona losing to a non-league team, pretty much. Yeah, I mean, I remember the guy who manages uh, Manchester City and has won a Premier League title managing a team called Real Madrid with all the Galacticos and going and losing to Alcorcón, you know. And, uh, yeah. you know, I mean, stuff happens, you know. Maybe Ranieri made horrible mistakes in that game and was responsible and, you know, or, uh, you know, maybe it's his fault. You oh, know? yeah, no, no, I'm, fair to up, yeah, you know? I'm not trying to hammer the guy. Like, uh, like but, but I, I, I just think when, when, yeah. when you've got a 20-year record... You know, like, like, but let me put it, put it a different way. Like, I, if I looked at this and I had to find negatives for Ranieri, you know, I might go and point to his time at Valencia, um, the, 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 the return at Valencia or Atletico Madrid, you know, stuff like that as being more significant negatives than, than those four games in, in Greece. Now, I appreciate other people like Mourinho kept going on and on about it because, uh, you know, it resonates more. Oh, look! You know, you're the doofus who lost to to Northern Ireland and the Faroe Islands. Yeah, and I'm not as in, I'm not trying to hammer the guy. I'm actually like almost everybody else. I really, really like Ranieri. Really respect what he's done and the way that he carries himself. And I think that's really the point that this that Greek experience would be 
really bruising for some managers. Certainly less experienced managers might struggle to come back from it. And yet he seems, from early on in his time at Leicester, the same unflappable, reasonably youthful Claudio Ranieri. All these other managers are ageing quite horribly in some cases. And Ranieri just seems like a pretty cool customer still. It's amazing how winning makes you seem youthful. <laughs> well, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I, I think... You know, he took it in stride. Like, he, I, I, I know Claudio Ranieri a little bit. I, I was his ghostwriter, and one thing that that strikes you about him, in which this is a guy who you know started his managerial career, you know, in non-league, and you know, I, I think managers who've done that and who've really come up the hard way, uh, especially if they're a little bit older, I just think they just generally have a slightly different perspective. Um, and he's a little bit like that as a footballer, you know, I mean, he was, he was probably a guy who should have never played above the third division, but, you know, made it to City on absolutely horrible teams and was generally absolutely horrible himself as a player. Um, you know, they, you know, they don't take stuff for granted and they, and I think sometimes they, they, they keep a greater, a greater perspective, you know, when, when they lose, you know, and I'm just going to throw this out there, but when great players become managers, um, and they and they lose, especially earlier in their career. I think they question themselves, and it hits them much much harder because they're people who've generally only known personal success as as players, and you know people who who, who generally enjoyed adulation. And you know, oh my goodness, it's Gary. Ne- you know, not, Gary Neville's not a good example, but um, you know, oh my goodness, it's Roy Keane. Oh, you know, and so then when things don't go according to plan. You know, you kind of become aware of your own mortality. I, Claudio Ranieri is known from, from day one that he started at the very bottom of the heap and he suffered a lot of bloody noses along the way. So I, I think, you know, he knows how to take a step back, perhaps better than somebody who's had different experiences. What about, um, you know, the tactics that his team have employed this season in the Premier League? Is there anything particularly um, out there about Leicester's system of play? I mean, uh, they do, uh, you know, apparently have fewer passes per uh, fewer passes per shot uh, than anyone else in the league, and they move the ball forward more quickly than anybody else in the league. But really, this is just sit deep, counter fast with a quick guy up front, and there's nothing kind of really groundbreaking about that, is there? Why do you think it's been so successful in this league? Well. It's not groundbreaking in terms of reinventing the wheel, but I think it's a great case of maybe doing things a little bit differently from everybody else and in a way that, that, that suits your team. Um, because Leicester, of course, play two up front, which not many teams in, in the Premier League do. When one of those two guys is, is Vardy, who, who's got this incredible streak of confidence and just sort of, sort of this, perennial, um, this perennial threat behind you create a situation because you've got two strikers, and so the, the, the because the, the the defense keys in on Vardy, it gives a lot of opportunity for the other striker um, to find to find areas to to, to to drop off or drop drop to the side, and a lot of times the center back has to decide whether to go with him or not, and a lot of times the center back does not go with him, which then means that Ujoa or Okazaki or whoever it is uh, can use that space. Um, or, or he moves in such a way so that he vacates space and creates areas for Albrighton, and uh, who I think has been exceptional and sometimes overlooked, um, and Riyad Mahrez to run into, uh, and you create overloads and you create mismatches that way. Uh, you know, it is a counterattacking side, but 
it's also, lest we forget, it's also a side that plays with, with two genuine wingers, uh, especially one of them, a very attacking winger in, uh, in, in Mares. So I don't think it's quite, it's quite that simple. I think, you know, he, he, wise man once told me about tactics is that, you know, how do you get your players to absorb them? Well, you know, the trick is being able to show them early on that, you know, your message works and then you get buy-in and then, you know, it becomes a lot easier for you to introduce more, more sophisticated concepts and the like. Is there an argument also maybe that, uh, I saw that Opta tweeted a, an interesting statistic today, which is that apparently Ranieri, whose reputation, obviously, in his previous uh, stint in the Premier League was, you know, the tinker man who couldn't stop making uh, changes, pointless changes, has actually made, <clears throat> sorry, fewer changes to his uh, to his starting eleven than any other manager in the league this season. That may be, t- you know, there's this, there's a, there's a way in which having a big squad can work against the team. Uh, sometimes, if your first eleven is is kind of obvious and gets to play together a lot, then it it can actually lead to a more stable team and uh, you know that's able to play better. Oh, no question. You 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 know when when you play the same guys, you you create you know you create chemistry. Um, and I think you know he does have an idea of of, of his first eleven. I mean, he's he's made I think a couple changes at the fullback position. Um, but although now he seems pretty much settled on, on Simpson and, and, and Christian Fuchs, um, and obviously Ujoa and, and Okazaki have alternated and, and in certain games we've seen in there, in there, and it's, it's been more of a, of, of a four, three, three, but, um, yeah, like he, I mean, he looked at this and he said, well, we don't play European football, then, you know, my guys are fit and I can, you know, we can train all week on there's, you know, we have the, the, the recovery time to go and, uh, and not make a lot of changes. I think it's also something very, very simple, which is you know managers make changes when things don't work, right? Mm-hmm. And if you're Lester and you've been rattling off the results, things have worked. So you know we, there's kind of been a disincentive to make changes. Mm. There's another thing. I mean, you mentioned the, the players being so fit, and there was a piece in uh, your newspaper, The Times, the other day about their strength and conditioning team, which kind of focused in on Jamie Vardy and his extraordinary uh, leanness. Uh, and you know they were talking about how uh, he's in such great nick, and the same goes for a lot of the other players. Is this also one of the reasons, maybe, why we're seeing the the elite, or we seem to be seeing the kind of elite uh, uh, band of clubs pulled back towards the middle? The fact that this type of expertise, all of the sort of support staff, is now available to every club in the Premier League, whereas previously it might have been uh, the preserve of the of the wealthiest few. Yeah, it's one of those theories, I think, that that's compelling, and there's no question that, you know, with Vardy, um, they've obviously done a great job. Um, it's also obvious that, you know, the level of of uh, of, of sort of conditioning experts and, and, and facilities and, and, and training that, you know, Vardy enjoys at Leicester is going to be a lot higher than, than what he had at Fleetwood or you know, whatever poxy team he was at, he was at when he was playing on league. You know? Or maybe that you know, then he would have had if he'd been at Leicester five years ago. Yes, or 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 possibly, yeah. I think. I mean, I think that generally comes to the fact that you know teams are investing more in this, and you know, it's not that difficult. Hey, look, he, this is one of the absurdities of, of football, right? Uh, compared to five years ago, you know. Five years ago, you might go and sign a reserve right back for two million pounds and give him a five-year deal at a twenty grand a week, and so the whole package would cost you seven million. You know, hiring 
some, you know, newfangled, you can hire like a team of conditioning and sports science and fitness experts for, for, for a hundred grand a year, you know? Um, these guys don't make a lot of money and they're passionate and hardworking about their job and they like being outside all day and, you know, at night when they go home, they get tucked in bed with, with books on conditioning and anatomy and all this jazz and, um, and they'll produce for you probably a lot more than, than your reserve right back. So it's, it's, you know, there's, 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 there's obviously, it's obviously an area in which I think a lot of clubs were, were spending less on it. I also think it takes a manager to go and listen to these guys and know where they're coming from. And I also think that in the, on that sense, Ranieri is somebody who, who's always had actually a big interest in, in, in physical preparation and, and conditioning and the like, you know, maybe more so than, than some of his predecessors at Leicester. What is the, what's their finishing position? Got ready just briefly. I, I, I would imagine they're going to finish, uh, they're, they're, they're going to finish top four at this stage. Um, possibly even even third. I, I'm not going to come out and tell you they're going to go and, and win the Premier League right now. But That's what I, that was what I was hoping for, secretly. Yeah, I, I mean, look, it's, it's, not, it's not out of the question. Um, and, you know, obviously they, they have these away trips to Arsenal, to Arsenal and City coming up. And people are like, aha, look, you know, this is where you know, they're going to get found out. Yeah, but remember one thing. If they snatch a draw in, in, in those games or either of those two games, it's not just, you know, they get a point instead of no points. It also means those are two points dropped at home for the opposition. So, you know, they kind of go into this with a certain degree of freedom and knowing that, you know, if they get a result, you know, it's going to have a big, big impact um, on, on the league. So, um, but yeah, I think logic says Spurs, uh, City, and uh, on Arsenal are, are better teams and Probably United are, are, you know, 10 points is, is a lot to make up. Do you remember, especially for this United team. Do you remember much about the time that uh, Hellas Verona won Serie A? Yes, I remember a lot about that time. So what exactly were they all saying at this point in the season, in the season when Hellas Verona <laughs> unbelievably went on to win Serie A? I mean, was, was there anything comparable about these situations? Um, I think... I, I, I think it's actually quite different. You know, uh, Verona, the, the previous year, I think, had finished fourth or sixth. You know, this was at a time when Serie A was, was a really, really strong league. And obviously they'd overachieved to do it. They, they, they added, you know, they, there was a limit of two foreigners per team back then, uh, which, which obviously helped level things out. And, you know, they had three or four players who, who were Italian internationals, which um, obviously Leicester don't have, uh, or English internationals for that matter, other than, uh, than, I guess, Vardy. And, you know, they had these two foreigners who, in Hans-Peter Briegel and Preben Alfjord Larsson, who, who were just out of this world. Uh, so I think, in, you know, while it was a shock, obviously, um, I think Leicester winning the, winning the Premier League would be, would be an even greater shock than... Uh, um, than Verona winning it. Okay, Gabrielli, great stuff. Thanks, Emil. My pleasure. It's a good point by Gabrielli. If they can take something, as they say, Ken, from the away games against the other title contenders, then it's they're taking two points off them, two home points off them. Mm. It's a big if, but it's doable. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they even their little rough patch that they had over Christmas. I mean, they still took four points off Man City and Tottenham. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, you just expect this has to end, you know. I mean, it could well be that now that we've 
that now that we've had this talk about Leicester, they'll just lose five games in a row. I mean, I could, you could easily imagine that happening. Um, hopefully not. Well, Claudia, if what you make the point about Ranieri, I thought it was interesting what Gabriele was saying there, that players who, successful players, become managers, are used to winning. And it's, it's funny because usually... I've heard a lot of explanations as to why it doesn't always work out for players, but just the fact that if they do have a setback, they're like, well, hang on a second, I don't, I don't normally have setbacks. Mm. Roy Keane is probably a good example, whereas Claudio Ranieri has worked his way up from the bottom as a manager and as, as a player and as a manager uh, and has had these bloody noses over the years. So, okay, Greece, you can kick me out. We probably should have beaten the Faroe Islands. Mm. I'll, I'll take that and I'll just move to a Premier League club and do a good job there. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I mean, I'm trying to think. Um, usually, the, the the standard argument about you know uh, great players who don't become managers is that they don't they can't empathise with ordinary players. Mm. It's like why why are you no good? You don't have the skill to do this. You don't you don't have the skill to do this skill or whatever it was. Do that I have to go out there and win this myself? <laughs> As a great, I heard a great story about a former uh, All Ireland winning Gaelic football uh, Gaelic footballer who took over a club team. And that was his halftime speech. <laughs> <laughs> oh, do what I a have legend. To, do I have to go out there and win this myself? That is inspirational. Yeah, you'd, uh, you'd go to the wall for that guy, <laughs> right, wouldn't you? If oh, Leicester City do fall away, the way could be cleared for Tottenham Hotspur, who've had a nice mid-season break. They've been away in Barcelona. T- and bonding as a team, Jack, Pip- Jack Pitbrook of the Independent is ready to talk about this, Jack. we've uh, th- This is a bit of a theme, actually, lately with Tottenham. Hugo Lloris, Harry Kane, a couple of them have been talked about this being the most special team spirit they've ever had, they've ever seen. What makes Spurs... Well, is this just an illusion glimpse in the moment of victory or genuine band of brothers stuff, do you think? Well, it's certainly something that Pochettino is very proud of, is the way that he has got rid of all the bad eggs and built what he would describe as a family unit or family group within the players they've got. And that's really been partly the story of his year and a half there has been um, has been that complete change in atmosphere behind the scenes from the very kind of disaffected, disaggregated place that he took over. And that, I think, informs a lot of his decisions in the transfer window this month, in the sense that there might be a very good football case for bringing in, say, Loic Remy for six months. But he is so keen not to unbalance the the atmosphere that he has, the sense of unity, the togetherness amongst the players, that he's not willing to countenance that kind of move. How important in terms of establishing this atmosphere is the fact that Pochettino is obviously a little bit scary? I mean, maybe you can talk about this with reference to the story of Andros Townsend. But yeah, it's really important. I mean, Pochettino, uh, in public, he's very fun and friendly and arm around the shoulder and he kind of engages in banter as far as his English will allow him to. But in private, I gather that he's very, very cold, tough, uh, uncompromising. I mean, if you speak to any Spurs player in private or anyone who knows Spurs players, they'll say, for example... If you if the player goes up to Pochettino and complains about not playing, they are I mean he, he takes that not well basically. He is not especially fulsome with praise or encouragement if he doesn't think it's warranted. He's kind of got this cold authority. And if you look at Andros Townsend, who was on the fringe of the team and then was uh, an unused substitute for a game they against Aston Villa in November. Um, afterwards when he was asked to warm down he scuffled with the fitness coach etc 
in the press conference two days later, Pochettino destroyed him. He said he's got a lot to learn about, I think, discipline and professionalism and values, I think were his words. And Townsend never played for Tottenham again. Like, he played, he had to play the under-21s to stay fit so he could get sold. Um, and that show, that's the perfect example, really, of this kind of cold authority that Pochettino has. Or even if you look at the players last season, about halfway through last season, Pochettino decided uh, Etienne Capu, Benoit Asuakoto, and Manuel Adebayor, um, and Yunus Kabul, not for me, and never, played, and never picked them again. Even Aaron Lennon and Adebayor at the start of the summer were told, no squad numbers, not part of the main group, find yourself in other clubs, train with the kids if you want to stay fit. And it's that kind of uncompromising attitude which has been so important to the development of the group. It is. It's quite interesting, isn't it? Like uh, how, how much better the team spirit appears to be than it was under Tim Sherwood, who seems like a much more kind of relaxed, more friendly with the players kind of guy. Like in terms of, oh, you know, I've been, you know, I've, 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 I've played in English football. I understand, uh, I understand what it's like in the dressing room. Uh, and yet he was never able to create this type of team spirit at Tottenham. Whereas, whereas uh, Pochettino, who's, you know, from what you've been saying, you know, cold and ruthless and uh, unsympathetic, is, is, is able to establish this kind of camaraderie. I mean, are, are these players just putting it on because they know that if they don't, uh, the, their squad number will be taken away and they'll be kicked out of the club? I mean, to be frank, a lot of the players under Tim Sherwood didn't respect him. They didn't think he should have been in charge. And that affected how they trained and played. Whereas it's been very, I mean, as soon as Pochino showed up, it was very clear to a lot of the players that this guy was for real. And that's why they put in a shift. That's why they're willing to do the double sessions, triple sessions. Uh, that's why they, I mean, they just try harder, basically. How do, how do you also, establish that, Jack? I mean, that's really, that's kind of a really interesting thing for for any manager to understand. How do you communicate to your players that you are for real? How do you show them that? I mean, is it is it a question of picking a couple of guys and bombing them out immediately? Is that a vital component to it or, or is it, or are there other things which are more important? Well, I think in part it's to do with track record. I mean, Pochettino has a a very good track record as a player, which I think still does count for something with modern players and a pretty good track record as a coach. I mean, he'd done two jobs before Tottenham, which had gone pretty well. Tim Sherwood had done no managerial jobs before Tottenham. Villas Boas uh, had had done, you know, had done a reasonable job. Well, certainly an outstanding job with Porto, you could say. But his track record didn't really seem to uh, help him. Yeah, I think I think his problem at Tottenham, his problem at Tottenham was personal. Ultimately, like he was just not someone who players or staff particularly got along with or warmed to. Um, I think that was. In kind of in part because of his attitude. I mean, he's quite a haughty um, guy who thinks that he always knows best and is not especially keen on shouldering responsibility for anything that happens. Um, and I think his problem ultimately was personal. Uh, he couldn't... I mean, like I said, it comes down to respect. And ultimately, this group of players respect Pochettino far more than they respected Villas-Boas or Sherwood. You said there that the players are doing triple training sessions for him. I know he brought this up. I thought he was joking last summer when he did his first interview and he was asked about these uh, this sort of tough training that he does. And he says, well, sometimes they'll have three sessions a day, but they don't have to be afraid of it. Has he actually installed that? Do they do three training sessions on some days? 
I think that's just a pre-season thing. I'd have to double check, but even that, even yeah, that, I mean, within the course yeah. of the season, I mean, they all work very hard, and this is, I mean, there, there is a, there is an argument made by one famous Dutch coach that Pochettino's methods might only encourage what's known as you know, short-term fitness, and by the second half of the season, they might tire out. That said, their injury record is fantastic. Um, Jan Vertonghen is really the first serious injury they've got, and that isn't a muscle injury. That's a knee injury from falling awkwardly and there the big question really in the second half of the season is has Pochettino's have Pochettino's methods built up long-term fitness that will enable them to keep pushing on all three fronts or is it just a short-term fitness thing which might lead to them tailing off in the league and the Europa League as they did last season yeah well I'm sure I I think it's Raymond Verheyen who you're referring to yeah, uh, as the, the Dutch uh, fitness coach. I mean, <laughs> he generally has an opinion. Yeah, <laughs> everyone loves listening to Raymond Verheyen. It's it's not really obvious who he thinks is doing it right. But I mean, looking at the at the you know injury table in the Premier League, Tottenham are well down towards yeah. the lower end of it. I mean, I think they've got two injuries at the moment, so they're thirteenth, and that's obviously for Tongan is one of those. Uh, Manchester United at the top of that at the moment with seven, um, Liverpool with six. So you know. Liverpool are, are there, and Verheyen recently um, fired a broadside, I guess I have to call it, at Jurgen Klopp, um, who, like Pochettino, likes to play a high-energy, high-pressing game where the players are required to run a lot. And he said, well, look, you know, this essentially that this type of game, this, this game plan is just asking for trouble. You ask players to play like this, this is what's going to happen. You know, you're going you're gonna to have this spate of injuries, muscle injuries. Um it doesn't seem to happen to Pochettino. I mean, how has this magic man been able to carry this off? Because, I mean, if what Verheyen says about this this style of play is, is true, Spurs should have had a lot more injuries uh, than they've had, but but somehow, they, so far anyway, they seem immune. Yeah, I mean, this is... I think there is more to what Pochettino does than just flogging the players. Like, it's not just running for the sake of running. So, like, it's very well measured. They Lots of sports scientists involved. They try to balance out the workload in such a way as to keep the players fit, fully fit for as long as possible. Um, and so I think it, rem- I mean, ultimately there's only one way to find out, which is to wait, you know, we'll see where, where they are in March and April and May with fitness and injuries. But it's, I think there's, there's certainly a sense that they might be at, they're, a few, they're only a few injuries away from trouble, basically. Um I mean, Kevin Vimmer coming in for Vertonghen is going to be a big issue for them over the next six to eight weeks because Vimmer's yet to start a Premier League game. And this, I think, will largely decide how their season finishes up. Yeah. The big curse of Tottenham, obviously, over the last, you know, eight or ten years has obviously been the fact that whenever they get a player who looks like he's going to be really good, he always ends up leaving quite soon. I mean, I can think of Carrick, uh, Berbatov, um, even Robbie Keane to an extent, obviously Bale and Luka Modric. Uh all of whom, you know, have, with the exception of Robbie Keane, <laughs> gone on to do, and arguably Berbatov, who wasn't as good after he left Tottenham, but they they all were big losses to the club. It was impossible for them to hang on to, to players like this. Do you think that's still a problem that they're going to have, not only with the players, but with the manager, who's, whose work is obviously drawing attention, and you've got clubs like Chelsea and Manchester United, uh, you know, who, who are obviously linked to a lot of managers, but who are all looking for... Maybe the next, uh, you know, the next saviour, and uh, this is going to be a problem that Tottenham have to face again this summer. I think I'd say yes, but not yet. So I'd, I'd like to think they can keep hold of the most marketable players. Would probably be Kane and Deli Ali 
for now. Pochettino is, I mean, certainly on the on the list at Chelsea. He ought to be on the list at Manchester United, although I imagine that they'll go for Jose Mourinho instead. Um, Pochettino has said that he's very committed. He wants to stay. He wants to, if not see that, he wants to see this through, basically. Um, and I, I'd like to think we can take him on his word at that. Although, of course, he did leave Southampton after a year and a half. Just a very quick when we were chatting to Gabriele Marcotti about where he thinks Leicester might finish. Where do you think Spurs are going to finish in what's a bit of a strange title race this season, Jack? Uh, third. Third. Good enough. We'll leave it there. Great stuff. Thanks, Jack. Uh, Jack Pitbrook. Thank you. Cheers, lads. There is a fairly important difference, I would have thought, Ken, between Klopp and Pochettino in this score. Yeah. Well, the point that Verheyen is making about Klopp, in part anyway, was that he's coming into the middle of a season mm-hmm. and is trying to implement all this. Whereas... And this is not for Hein talking, this is me now talking. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Pochettino has that full preseason where he's training them three times a day. Yeah. And getting, but you, you take my point that it, uh, for, for was saying that Klopp is expecting way too much from the fitness levels of these guys immediately. Whereas Pochettino is a guy who's been working, has, has had his full summer to plan, what he need, to bring in his plan and to implement it. Yeah, um, uh, but you know, I'd love to hear Verhein's view on triple training sessions, even though he didn't seem too keen on double training sessions. <laughs> no, um, triple. I wonder what a triple training session really entails, though. It's probably only one session in there, really, and a couple of bit, bit of stretching here and there. Maybe, yeah. Of it. Um, yeah, <clears throat> we haven't yet seen. Although, you know, I think Verhein made the point that this was also a feature of Klopp's uh, Dortmund team, they would they would have these types of injuries, and I guess he had plenty of pre-seasons there. So, yeah, we'll, this is something we're going to be watching. I think Simon has dug out the audio of the Manchester United kid for us. Now, the problem for me is that possession football does not work in the Premier League, full stop. It, possession football is not suited to the Premier League. Attacking footballers, you could even argue defensive footballers if you look at how, uh, how Mourinho's Chelsea played last year. Possession football, where you keep the ball, where you try to be Barcelona, where you try to be Bayern Munich, without that star quality, does not work. It's like, for me, I just, it's upsetting to see (laughs) the Manchester United team. Oh, we'll fade him down there. Gary Neville has morphed into an eight-year-old boy. (laughs) I love that. I love that. For me, it's upsetting. He's so fluent in all the football ease. For me, <laughs> it's a knowledgeable little kid when it comes to football tactics. Oh, knowledgeable yeah. little what? Kid. kid. Sorry, yeah, sorry. Yeah. No, he, he, he is. I mean, I, 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 I think I agree with a lot of what he's saying. I think he's maybe a, a touch too dogmatic in the way he full stop in the, with the certainty in which he says it. But would you rather watch him or? Some of the Pundits things that are on TV, <laughs> is that what you're going to say? I mean, uh, and the one hand, it is, you know, you have to you have to think to yourself, what kind of a world are we living in yeah. now? Where that was you know, the first thing that I thought about. To be honest, the, the little thought. children. This is what happens, you know, when they're exposed to this this brutish uh, media culture that we've created. Uh, you get uh, you get kids talking like little Charlie. On the other hand, you know, Charlie's only young. He's already attained this impressive level of uh, fluency in this language of football punditry. <laughs> I don't know where things are going to stop for Charlie. I think hopefully he will go on to master new languages 
and uh, become, uh, well, he's, he's quite a talent, is what I'm saying. He just needs to maybe temper some of those uh, really He's a very moments. good, he's a very gifted communicator. Yeah. You know, yeah, he, he, he does he does have skill there. I'm not sure if his style necessarily invites much debate. That's the only issue. If, he's go, if he is going to be a football pundit, he'll be on panels, he'll have to agree and disagree <laughs> well, with people. Well, I don't know what age he is. I mean, he's tiny. So, I don't know, I don't know if, he's, if he's really old or whatever. But, you know, I, I think as, you know, as he gets older, hopefully he'll, He'll begin to realize that sometimes you need to. Sometimes he also it's, conversations can be a two way thing. Let but in fairness, in, he's so. been asked. He's been asked his opinion here by full time devils. So you know he's given his opinion. Maybe if he was sitting here with us, there would be a bit more. Mm-hmm. He would be prepared to to, to, to engage in a bit more back and forth here. San Francisco is getting ready for the Super Bowl on Sunday week. We'll check in with US Murph on our next podcast, and we'll talk about the message that Joe Schmidt has been sending out this week. That is, if you want to play rugby for Ireland, you'd really want to be playing rugby in Ireland. Uh, might not be a very good idea for players to move away if they want to keep getting regular game time under Joe, unless you're, you're Johnny Sexton or one of those boys. Anyway, next time you're on your phone, vacantly scrolling through Twitter, whatever it is you're doing, looking for something to engage with, you can. we've got something you can actually do. You can spend 30 seconds rating this podcast on iTunes, maybe leave a comment or two, and that all helps in, in terms of ratings uh, in in the iTunes store. Thanks, Kieran. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Ken. Thanks thank you, much, Kieran. Ken. Thank you, Owen. Thanks a million for listening. We'll talk to you later. It's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.